Hello, channel pros. Welcome back to the Channel Journeys podcast. I am Rob Spee, your host and cycling fanatic. I am just back from completing the 50th anniversary of Ragbri, the bike ride across the hot rolling hills of Iowa. It was a fantastic week of craziness and a bit tougher ride than usual. We cycled over 530 miles, climbed over 17,000 feet. The hills aren't that big, but boy, they sure do add up. If you want to hear more about Ragbri, listen to the end of this episode. I'll share some of the highlights after today's interview. Before we get to that, let me tell you about our new sponsor. With a global user base of over 4 million partners, Impartner is recognized as a global leading provider of partner management technologies. Impartner specializes in cutting edge solutions for partner relationship management and partner marketing automation. Their platform is built around best practices and sophisticated automation that enables partner teams like yours to quickly move from program operations to maximum time to value. I've known the great folks at Impartner for many years and I'm thrilled to have them as a sponsor of Channel Journeys. A common challenge that Channel Chiefs face is scaling a partner program and even a partner network that a company has outgrown. How do you update your scrappy partner program to attract the types of partners needed now that your company is much larger? Where do you need to scale back to rebuild for a better partner experience? I'm very pleased to introduce today's guest, Katie Landall. She answers those questions and many more in today's show. Katie is the AVP of Global Partnerships and Ecosystems at Zoom Info. She's been transforming their partner program and partner ecosystem to meet the needs of a now public company. Are you ready to take your partner program to the next level? Let's go. Welcome to Channel Journeys, the podcast for channel professionals that will enable and inspire you to create your best channel journey ever. Meet and learn from channel experts who share authentic stories of their channel victories, defeats, and lessons learned along the way. Here's your host, Rob Speed, a channel chief on a never-ending quest for channel knowledge and adventure. Hey, Katie. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Channel Journeys podcast. Great to meet you here. Great to meet you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're very welcome. So where are you spending your summer? Well, right now I'm actually in Wisconsin, so I'm enjoying time here uh, with our family, extended family and things like that. And so it's been beautiful out here. Oh, nice. Nice. Is that where you're from originally? It's where my entire in-laws are from. So my husband and his side of the family is all from here. So we try to visit as much as possible and happens to be that you caught me while I was here visiting and uh, having the kids running around playing and all the fun things. So, Oh, that's fun. That's fun. And you're normally hunkered down in California and Irvine, right? Yes. Usually I'm in California and in Orange County and in Irvine. So it works out pretty well. Well, that's great. Glad you, you're getting a fun change there. Yeah. All right. So you are from Zoom Info, not to be confused with Zoom. Let's just get that straight first off because you probably get that all the time right we do get that all the time it's just so funny to me but yes (laughs) so you are not a zoom platform tell us what zoom info does do if people aren't familiar with it yeah so zoom info what we do is we're a, a marketing platform a sales and marketing platform what we do is we create we have a huge data asset which includes all company type of information as well as contact information And then we essentially serve that up into our platform so that it's easily accessible as well as, you know, actually acting upon it and and going out there with it. It's it's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. We had it at my last company and and provided a ton of information. 
uh, on customers for our sellers to use and marketing teams. Yeah, yeah. So we have a we have a couple different areas that we go to, but most of our most of our users are sales and marketing. And I was looking it up. You guys, and you were talking a little bit about this too, Katie. You went public in 2020. We did at the height of COVID, like yes, pandemic IPO. That was very successful. It had to be pretty crazy. Yes, it was a little insane. I actually started right after that. I came from, I was at Allstate prior to that in their technology space. They're, they're ironically trying to develop, you know, their own platforms and things like that. And so I had moved over to ZoomInfo. They had kind of recruited me over and it was right after they, they went IPO. And it's great to hear about the story. Henry, our founder, just had it in his mind that we had to do it regardless of, you know, what the external outcome or market looked like. And so, you know, he went full reign after it and clearly made it happen. And it just was incredible. And we've been doing really well ever since and continue to grow. And so, yeah, it's been great. That's awesome. Now that did bring some new challenges, it sounds like, or even a transformation of the company that's impacting your channel strategy. And that's what I really want to hone into today. I think that's pretty interesting. So what, what impact, or let's start here. What partner network did you have going into the IPO? Kind of what was what did you find when you joined the company? Yeah. So when I joined the company, it was a little bit more of a scrappy program. They had just, it was, which we hear about all the time, right? It's always the odds and ends, the redheaded stepchilds, all the backdoor handshake deals and all the things that they're like, this is the partner program and all the stuff. So that's kind of how they were previously. When I came in with my experience, I came in with a pretty long background in this. I've built them over and over again in a multitude of ways, both on, you know, distributor side of the house, as well as, you know, reseller and channel and all the things. And so when I came to Zoom Info, they had me essentially take over what we called strategic alliances at the time, which was essentially our biggest partnerships. And that really what we considered biggest partnerships were not only name, but how much, you know, revenue is attributable to that relationship and so forth. And so, yeah. I brought it into a place that was much more structured, right? I had a lot more involvement from our leadership team. It wasn't just kind of these ad hoc conversations. It then was introduced more into strategically what we're doing as an organization and what we wanted to do um, for our products. And so, yeah, it worked really well. And, and we, we, got going, we got going in a good way. So, Was it going public that drove the need to have more structure? No, I think it's just the matter matter of how large the organization is and how much demand there is. So just an evolution of the company. Right. So I think the best thing to describe is I, I use that metaphor. We were kind of the new kids on the block or the shiny new thing, right? And so now all of a sudden we're getting a lot of attention from external folks, you know, like the big names out there, including in the cloud space and so forth, that really wanted to figure out how can we you know, work together, how can we get through this? And so that obviously uh, created the demand for us to have more of a structure in place, more of somebody leading the charge in that biz business development role. And that's kind of, you know, where we where I came into play. Got you. And you, you started in the strategic alliances side. Has your role expanded since then? Yes, it has. So I actually left for about 10 months to go do a startup, which was really fun. Oh, I've, I've been there. Yes. And I came back uh, most recently this year in January. Um, and they asked me to come in and, and kind of 
revamp what we've been doing for a couple years here at ZoomInfo, um, just to make it a lot more scalable and appropriate for the size of the organization that we are. So I cleaned up a bit of our channel business, which in all actuality, most of those channel partners were really what we would consider an agency customer. So they were really just customers who were, you know, reusing or repurposing our platform on behalf of their clients in some way, shape or form. And it was funny that everybody kept calling that channel business. And I'm like, that's not channel business. Like that's, that's not what it is. And so cleaned up that entire part of the, the, the organization. So that's been great. And that's running like, you know, uh, clockwork, like everybody else. And then now I moved over to kind of shepherd the rest of the uh, partner ecosystem that we have. And our two biggest focus areas are our solutions partners, um, or some folks call it services partners. Um, and our other is our technology partners. So those are kind of our two main focuses right now. We do have a referral program, but I've kind of scaled that back to be very basic and mainly because I think we try to do too much too soon and it didn't create a great partner experience for, you know, the partners that we had existing and it just wasn't really a great process in place and it it just it just wasn't great. Interesting. And so I, I stripped it back. So now we just have a very straightforward self-serve, you know, referral and affiliate program. And then as we start to develop better programs there and better relationships there, that's when we'll start to re-expand again and, and make the, that experience better for our partners. That's interesting. We don't have a referral partner program yet, but we're thinking of adding it. So I might want to dive into that a little bit further with you. It sounds like you might have some, some lessons learned of do's and don'ts on that front. Yes, definitely. <laughs> so you're adding, you're putting more emphasis on the service delivery partners who can go out and you've got a SaaS solution. So what are the delivery partners doing? Is it more integration type work? So most of our service partners are solution partners. What we categorize them as is either our GSIs, SIs, or even the consultancy, the international consultancy firms. We work really closely with them in a multitude of ways. So sometimes it's a, you know, they're doing project-based work where they're coming in and helping to you know, rip and replace or, you know, make better efficiencies. And then we also have our, obviously our system integrators, which pretty straightforward, right? They come in and a company says, Hey, we need to build this entire, you know, organizational plan out. We need you to come in and do it for us because we just don't have the bandwidth or time. And so they pay millions of dollars. And then this system integrator comes in and does all the work for them. And so though all of those partners obviously have really helped us tremendously grow. It's also been an integral part in our efforts to basically, you know, solidify where we are in the market and, and that we're a strong player and that we belong to, you know, be a, a, in, you know, the same realms as the sales forces of the world and HubSpots and things like that, especially on our data front. So like the data asset itself bar none. I mean, the, the feedback that we get consistently from all of the, are those partners the large guys out there, they've done really extensive work on comparing our data to others, you know, in the market. And we always consistently hear back that it's the best. And this is why we push it to our more of the top fortune 500s and folks like that, that need the quality. So is there a lot of integration work that these partners are doing? Like a Salesforce partner, there's obviously tons of customization that you can do. Yeah. Or is it more like change management consulting type work or both? It's a little bit of both. I would say we mostly see a lot more of integration work, obviously, because we work very hand in hand in two-step with Salesforce. So Salesforce is an incredible program and you know you can customize it in any way, shape or form. But if you don't have 
the right data in it, it's not very effective for your sales or marketing organization or even your, you know, rev ops and so forth. So that's where we have a really close relationship and we have a very close marriage where most organizations rely pretty heavily on Salesforce to have that integration with us so that they're able to, you know, have the appropriate data in their system. Right. No, it makes sense. And then on the technology alliance side, what types of partners are you finding there? Are you, is this to integrate Zoom Info with other platforms? Yeah. So we've got a couple ways that we look at it. So we would consider Salesforce more on our technology partnership because obviously that's a straight integration. We have, you know, an iframe native application that that populates within Salesforce. Um, we also include our integration partners or connector partners. So those are mutual customer integrations. So uh, for example, we have one with G2. So any of our mutual customers can, can can push data back and forth in between both platforms and things like that. And then it also includes all of our uh, cloud relationships. So anybody that we have some deep integration and cloud partnerships with, so the likes of GCP, AWS, Azure, and then even the MDMs like the Snowflakes of the world, as well as Informatica, Reltio, and Databricks. Um, all of those we have equal amount of partnership with. They're all great and bring different value to us right now. And we bring value to them as well. And so it's it's been a great marriage between those organizations and us. Are you selling on their marketplaces as well? We do. Yeah. In certain instances, we do. Most of it works through private offer because it really is hard to do any type of standardized data out, especially what we have. And so most of the time partner or customers, I should say, approach us and they say, hey, I need to draw down on my commit, for example, uh, at AWS. Can I run you know, this data purchase through the marketplace? And we say, yep, no problem. And we, we issue them a private offer. And then that drills down on their commits. And so it works really well both for the customers as well as us and, you know, the cloud providers, because it's a win across the board. Yeah. I've had a lot of conversations about marketplaces on channel journeys. It's, it's a big discussion area. It's something we launched last, started launching last year and we added another marketplace this year. We're very early at Beyond Trust, you know, in that journey. How far along are you guys? Are you still early stage or are you getting some good traction there? I think we're getting quite a bit of good traction there. I would say it's still considered early stage only because, uh, you know, we only have a couple plays in place right now. However, it is growing pretty rapidly and we have so much on the horizon. So I think, you know, if you talk to me six months from now or a year from now, I may say, oh, we're a little bit more mature and we have, you know, more, more along the lines. But in my opinion, we're still kind of a little bit in the, in the beginning stages. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting because it's definitely one of those, just because you build it, that doesn't mean they're all going to be clamoring to buy. Right. And it's, it is largely customer driven, I think, because they, they want to buy down those, those commits, but you've also got to get sales engaged and get them used to having the right conversation and, and bringing it up at the right time. Have you found any good ways to help drive that more? Look, it's always going to get, it's always hard to get any sales uh, attention. They're always like, look at me, look at me, look at all these different things. And so it's really hard to keep them focused. I think as long as you go into the partnership, knowing what is the number one play and thing that they can go and easily talk about to their clients and customers and vice versa internally for your own organizations, that's always the easiest to start with. And once you kind of get a lot of those wins under your belt, then all of a sudden sales folks are getting it. And then it's easier to start introducing other plays or other, you know, strategies between, you know, the, that partnership. So it, it, I always say I'm a huge fan of the, you know, crawl, walk, runner poach 
make sure that your crawl phase is just, you know, stellar and you're getting everything that you need out of it before you start running, you know, your walk and then you're running. I always see folks, you know, really falling flat most on their face when they try to just boil the ocean all at once and they do everything and they're like, well, why aren't we getting just, you know, millions of dollars in revenue up front and this is supposed to bring this. And, you know, people don't really understand that it's, it really truly is a strategy and it's a long-term play that you have to make sure that you get through. It's a long-term play. Yeah. I, I love that approach. Don't boil the ocean. Yeah. Get that one use case or one sales play and build from there. Yeah. Interesting. So you're kind of expanding the ecosystem. It's a very similar story to what I've been trying to do at, at Beyond Trust with some slight different nuances to it. What have you had to do in terms of your partner program? What changes have you made? And it sounded like maybe you didn't even have a fully baked partner program when you came. No, I mean, we have. I think we've, we've dabbled in a few different areas. I think everybody mm -hmm. always strives to have these just very large programs that have all these different tiers and MDF funds and, you know, you know, all the bells and whistles, like we see in some of those mature partner ecosystems, like the Salesforce and HubSpots for the world, right? We all aspire to be like that. Um, however, I think, you know, where we're at as an organization and what we needed to do, we kind of needed to scale that back so that it was a better, you know, uh, experience for our partners themselves. What a lot of the feedback that we were getting was, yeah, this program is great, but it doesn't feel like we're actually acting on all the things that we promise within the program. We're not getting like the dedicated amount of time like we're supposed to, all of that. And so I really wanted to make sure that we brought it back to basics and did a good job with that before we start introducing, right, the, you know, partner tiers and MDF programs and can we have a partner event and, you know, those, all that type of stuff. So interesting. It's like you said for the referral program, you're kind of scaling back a bit, simplify, and then start rebuilding from there. Yeah, right, right. I think, like I said, any of the predecessors I had before me, I think they they all had a great intentions and I think they all did wonderful things. I think at the end of the day, it just was too much up front. And I think they just needed to take steps first to get there versus we're just going to throw this massive, you know, partner program out there and it's going to work. Right. So yeah, I think every organization is different, but I always, I'm a, a huge proponent of start simple, make it, make it stellar, make it just, you know, absolutely rocking and rolling for your organization and then build on top of that because otherwise it just, you know, it just doesn't work well. And it's not a good experience for anybody, right. Internally and externally. So yeah. As you were simplifying, what were the most critical elements you wanted to keep in place or tweak a bit? Ooh. Operations is a big one. So as much efficiency and automation as possible, because I wasn't looking to just strip back and then make everything manual out of a Excel spreadsheet or G sheet or something like that. So scaling back also meant let's be smart about the tools and platforms that we are using how can we simplify this in the best way with what we have today versus what we want to build in the future? And, you know, it's kind of what's the need to have now versus the nice to have in the, in the future. And so, you know, that's how we've prioritized our time. So our referral program, for example, you know, we used to have a, multi, a few different PRM systems that we were using just because obviously, you know, different folks come in, everybody has their favorites, things like that. I stripped that down to just one. And the one is more of a true self-serve kind of referral program. So we implement it, they go sign up, all the materials they could possibly need are there. They can create their own landing page. They can create their own customized link. 
and then that all automatically tracks those leads for them, then comes back to them and says either it's closed one, closed loss, oh yeah, it's closed law or it's closed one, now we're gonna pay you out and they get payouts on a monthly basis. So it's very transparent, it's very self-serve, it makes it a lot easier for you know partners to do what they need to do versus having to reach out to somebody constantly trying to chase things or you know whatever whatever it is that they're looking for. Is that a platform standalone from your partner portal? Right now it's a standalone, yes. So it's a organization called Partner Stack. It's a popular one out there. Yes. I've used them in actually a multitude of the organizations that I've been and they've just been great from the gamut. By far the best referral and affiliate platform out there for partnerships. So, you know, always a great place to start because again, it's just very automated, very user-friendly, very self-serve and you can get a lot of traction there. So, How do you fund that? Is it like, do you, do you set up a separate marketing budget for that, for the referral payout? Yeah. So it really depends on the way your organization runs that. Every organization's a little bit different. Sometimes it comes out of the partner team's P&L. Sometimes it comes out of the marketing P&L as like a cost per lead, for example, for that revenue share. So it, re- it really depends on the organization. Everybody does it a little bit differently. What I would always say is I typically consider it as a top of funnel motion. So sometimes organizations say, okay, well, if it's top of funnel, this really belongs in marketing. Sometimes it's, you know, a specific sales team or, you know, business development team and, you know, all the things in between. So it just, it really depends on the organization. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. All right. So I know one of the biggest challenges coming in and doing what you're doing is alignment. Yes. And it's executive alignment. It's middle manager alignment. It's field alignment. How are you doing that up front? What are you doing to drive that alignment? So I think a lot of it is communication. I think what you see on the partner team and what makes this job so fun for me is it's very cross-functional. You're talking to the engineering team and then the marketing team and then the sales team and then the finance team and then the rev ops team. And they all have their different personalities and quirks. They all have their different priorities. They all have their different ways of doing and running their own business unit. Right. And so what I find fun about this is, you know, I have the same messaging across the board, but I may tweak it for that specific audience so that it really resonates with them more. As far as the executive team goes, it's all about just being very transparent and making sure that they're all, you know, getting the exact same messaging so that they can also push top down. And that it also aligns with our overall, you know, organizational strategies as well and and how we just complement everything that we're already doing as a company too. So I never want to try to go against the grain necessarily. I just more push the envelope if it's a better kind of way of doing it, right? (laughs) You're an envelope pusher. Okay. Yes, an envelope pusher. It's mainly, you know, and it's also about picking your battles as well. You know, what's something, you know, I want to die, you know, die on this hill for versus, okay, fine. Like I'll bring it up again in six months type of thing. So you kind of just learn, you know, what's most important to organizations and what isn't and, you know, where you should, you know, pick your battles essentially. Yeah, absolutely. How about measurement and tracking success of these new partner types? Like how do you measure the impact on your business of those implementation partners, for example? Yeah. So there's a couple ways that we look at it personally. There, one way that we look at it is we, it's influenced revenue, which we all know in the partner world, right? Yep. It's we attribute some sort of percentage of every, you know, ACV of every customer towards that partner if they're attached to them in some way, shape or form. If it's an integration partner, what we like to do is we look at it as 
How many of our customers have that integration? How much is that integration being used? And how much is it getting consumed through that integration? Um, mm-hmm. We actually have really good way of having visibility to each of those areas. And so it's really great because we have dashboards that we can see, you know, in those integrations, what are positively in, uh, impacting our customers versus not, which are the ones that are more popular versus not, right? And, and which are actually returning, you know, on our investment versus, you know, we're just spinning our wheels and it's not really getting anywhere. So we want to make sure that it's bringing value across the board, not just in a monetary way. How was that measured? Is is it in the actual product? You can see you have. So we have, I mean, we use obviously external, we have, you know, we use like tableaus and, you know, Salesforce reporting and, and all, all the things that flow into one dashboard for us uh, internally in our operations. And, and then I can see all the different levers that we can pull from the product team on, you know, how much consumption is being done through that integration. Like we can see what users are doing with it and how often they're using it. Through the product itself. Yeah, through the product itself. Then we, and then there's also obviously the revenue aspect, which will pull all that information, customer data and SKUs and things like that through our Salesforce instance. And then we also have an area, you know, where we can see depending on the type of integration that it is. So if we're talking about more on the cloud space, right, we have a really in-depth data part of our organization that all they do is API and data delivery all day long. And then we pull information out of there as well. And so kind of all the different areas get pulled together to give us an overall health scoring of, you know, what that integration or implementation partner is like. That's awesome. I've got to talk to our engineering team and get some of that. (laughs) It's not easy. I will tell you that right now. It is not an easy thing. It definitely takes, it's a years in the making type of thing. And it's always just baby steps to where you want to get to. But it's, and every organization is totally different. Some are very much easier and others are much more difficult. So you just have to find what works within your own infrastructure of your, your company. Yeah. But anything like that, that can be automated and be pulling directly from the product that sees that, that's fantastic. Yes. Yeah. That's the ultimate. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great place to be. Awesome. How about your team, you know, coming in and adding new partner types and kind of dialing back some things? pushing out on pushing the envelope on others. What's that impact has that had on the, the whole partner team there? We've gotten really lucky, actually. It wasn't a, a huge change. We just maybe reallocated some responsibilities and shifted some responsibilities to different folks and kind of realigning what they need to be focused on. You know, our relationship and our cloud team is well-developed. They run like a machine. I'm very lucky for the leader that I have there. She is unbelievable and just kills it for us. That is, she comes from that world. That is her entire career. And so she has just made that phenomenal for us. And there are other areas. I have a great leader for our our technology team as well. And so he does an incredible job of kind of wrangling everything in. And then also, you know, having a good pulse on what's happening across the organization and working so closely with our product team as well. And then on our solution side of the house, we just have a open rec right now because obviously I can't do it all by myself. But I need somebody to come in to, you know, really double down on all of our, you know, GSI relationships and SI relationships and consultancy firms, because those are their own beasts and they need their own amount of time. And so, you know, we've had a couple people in that role in the past in different ways, but this time it's now we're, we're really hyper-focused on this one type of persona and this one type of job description. 
And then I have my entire, you know, we've got operations and program management and, you know, partner success and all the things. And so, you know, it all works really well together. We just had to shift a few things around so that it aligned with our new priorities and our new partners. Well, you've got an open slot here. We've got a big (laughs) audience of professionals listening. I love it. Please. There might be someone listening. Hey, if you've got a really, really good relationships with those big GSIs, the Deloitte's, the Accenture's. Cognizance, all those out there. I'd love to talk to you. Please come chat with us. I'm, I am looking for somebody pretty unique for that role. So maybe I'll get one of your listeners. So I'd love that. What's the unicorn aspect of what you're looking for? Well, they've got to be able to be not only tactical and be able to kind of help build and run the programs that we have in place, but, but scale them. They have to have leadership quality because eventually they'll have their own team that's reporting to them that each is having their own relationship to, to manage. At the same time, I need somebody who's seniored enough that knows how to kind of really infiltrate and get into these organizations more so than, than what we have done already. Yeah. Build those strategic. Yeah. Yep. Executive relationships. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, maybe we have someone in the audience. who's. I would love it. Yeah. Talk to Katie. Yes. <laughs> All right. Excellent. What have been your biggest challenges that you're facing? Oh, gosh. Kind of going back to probably the reporting aspect and also, you know, the, you know, the actual operations and minutia behind everything. That's always the most difficult I find in any organization that I've been in trying to figure out, you know, what works and what doesn't, what exists today and what doesn't, right? And what's the need to have versus the nice to have and, you know, kind of just coordinating all of that is I find the most challenging in my opinion. I think, you know, everybody's got the same philosophy and feel for partner programs. There's always, you know, a pretty universal, at least thought and feeling in those programs. It's just everybody does it differently and everybody metrics it differently and everybody sees success differently. And so I always find it the most challenging working through kind of how do we measure the success? How can we track it? What are we looking at? What systems do we have? You know, how, how are we, you know, operationalizing this essentially. Yeah. So, so yeah. That is my biggest challenge too. Yeah. It's always the hardest. It is always the hardest. So. Yeah. We just did something really interesting. So we have a brand new SVP of operations who came in and we didn't call it sales ops or channel ops. We called it go-to-market ops because we want to have just one consistent view. Yes. So we did that. And then the second thing we did is We took our programs and operations leader, my programs, operations and leader for channels and moved him onto that team. Oh, smart. Yeah, I do a lot of that, too. So when I talk about, you know, any of our marketing, you know, folks or any of our operation folks, they all actually sit on either the marketing. Yeah, they sit in the marketing team. They sit in the product team. They sit in the, you know, RevOps team, for example. But they're all almost that dotted line feel so that. Yes, they're very in sync with what their organizations are doing, but at the same time, they're also very in sync with what we're doing and partnerships. So it's great to have that so that they're able to kind of thread us in where we're needed. Yeah, I think so too. They're like your scouts out there in the different, <laughs> yes, <laughs> different organizations. Yeah. All right. Very cool. Well, let's talk a little bit about your channel journey, Katie. How did you fall into this? How did you work your way up and into this role. All right. Let's start from the beginning. I used to work for a marketing agency very long, long time ago when channel wasn't really known as a thing. It was known as resellers or like distribution, right? Right. And so we used to serve some pretty big clients out there 
like the likes of AT&T, Sprint, Oakley, GoPro, all of those kind of big names. And they had to have some sort of distribution channel, right, to get their products out there or resellers or, you know, whatever that looked like. And so they would hire us essentially to manage those programs. It was a little bit of a different aspect. That's kind of how I got into it and introduced to it. From there, I was there for quite some time and we built out these incredible programs and had just wild amount of success. And he still, you know, they still do today, which is so fun to see. And then from there, I kind of just, I got hired by a client at the time was Ingram Micro. So then Ingram Micro brought me in. And that was when they were trying to build out all of their cloud partner programs. And so I came in as like a program manager to come in and build out these systems. And it was very new, like cloud was very still new. And so I came in to kind of help facilitate what does that look like in between you know, our strategic partners, how does this roll out to our reseller network? How does this roll out to our IT network? How does, right. And how does it all serve each other, you know, creating a, you know, university, all, all of that, you know, encompassing. And then it just kind of grew from there. And then every organization I've been at, you know, I've taken different parts of the partnerships and just have always had a really unique perspective just because I have been in all the different roles and I have worked from ground up almost in a way. And so, you know, I'm able to look at it very strategically, big picture, but at the same time, also understand how do I actually tactically make this happen? And so I think that that's what gives, gives a little bit of an, an edge for some of the folks in partner. Yeah. I agree. I agree. That's what I always advise people to get experience in all those different types of roles with different elements of the channel. And I did a stint in distribution and it was so valuable, such an eye opener. Yes. Well, and you take the best of all the different worlds, right? And then you try to marry them all together. And I think it's just helpful for your overall, you know, strategic thinking and so forth. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you do for your mental health? What's your uh, escape? Uh, my escape, uh, I've actually been riding horses since I was a kid and I still do. It's my Zen space as I call it. Even now after having kids and being a mom of two and all the things, being at the barn and with the horses and riding and things like that, that's just kind of my, it's just me. There's no other, you know, there's no work, there's no kids, there's no husband, there's no friends. There's, it's just, I mean, there's friends, but it's really just you and the horse or you and whatever chores you're doing around the barn and things like that. And so I've always found it as my Zen zone and I love it. My one horse experience was when I was a kid, my dad had an airport that was his business on an old pig farm. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And there were these like, I don't know, almost wild horses running around and we got one and I got it to the fence and I climbed up on the fence and climbed on the horse's back. I mean, no saddle or anything. And he just took off. (laughs) That is brave of you. No, how stupid of me. I, <laughs> well, okay. I was trying to mean, you know, it's a very brave thing to do as a kid. <laughs> yeah, that was nice of you, Katie. But no, and of course it threw me off. Fortunately, I didn't, you know, I'm, I, was, I was young. I just rolled with it. But that was the extent of my horseback riding. That's so funny, yeah. But my wife, Katie, same name, she grew up horseback riding. She she's not a, doesn't do it anymore. She probably wishes that she did, but she loved that as a kid. Yeah, it's such a unique sport too. And I love it because it's such a different, it's a individual sport as much as it is a team sport. So you really do learn kind of the different aspects and responsibility through that. And, you know, you're on a a large animal that you're having to take care of. And, you know, so it's just kind of all the things It definitely taught me responsibility and dependability early on. Um, Because if you didn't feed the horse, the horse would get sick and you can't ride. And then if you can't ride, then now you're affecting your team and your own 
you know, career and all the things. And so it was just this constant snowball effect. If you didn't follow through on the things that you needed to do now that affected everything else. Right. And so, you know, I think it, it taught me a lot. It taught me a lot of responsibility and a lot of great things when I was a kid. So, well, they even use horses for therapy. So this is probably, they do. You're, you're getting an added benefit from this. I am. Yes, uh, they definitely do. I think horses are incredible creatures. They fe literally feel what you're feeling and react to it. it. They have a, it's like a whole nother, almost like fifth sense for them. And so it's really cool to see how they react to folks that are, you know, going through either trauma or grief or anger or sadness or happiness, whatever that looks like, they, they react to you differently. And so I think it's a very healing thing. It's very cool. So when you've had an especially challenging time with channel reporting, you can go get on your horse and... Yes. I, I'm like, okay, I just need to go to the barn. I'm going to ride. I'm going to like restart my brain, right? Like just blank out for a little bit. And then I get back to, I'm like, oh, okay, now I have a different perspective because I was able to kind of take a step back, which is really nice. So... What's your horse's name? Right now, I don't own a horse. I've owned a few in the past. I'm just in a little bit of a transition because with kids, it's a little hard to own right now. But I'm very fortunate that I have quite a few friends and trainers that I'm able to ride their horses and things like that. So I've got lots of names. <laughs> well, that's like boating. You know, the best boat is your friend's boat. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why, well, like I said, I've owned a couple in the past. And I think you know, now it's my daughter's getting old enough where she wants to start riding too. And my husband's going, Oh God, now we're going to have to get one for her. And like, it's a whole thing. And so it's just kind of funny, but horses are probably about as expensive as boats too. <laughs> they are. Yes. And people don't realize it's not the purchase of them. It's the upkeep. That's what it is. The upkeep. Yeah. The maintenance. <laughs> It's the maintenance. Yeah. Yeah. Very fun. Katie, this has been fantastic. Really enjoyed chatting with you. You had an interesting post this morning on scale, scaling partners. That really caught my eye. Uh, maybe just kind of parting words. Why, why do you have to be cautious about scaling? I think if you scale too fast, you end up kind of shooting yourself in the foot a little bit. So it kind of goes back to the entire messaging I had before. Always do a crawl, walk, run approach. Make sure you knock it out of the park and really look for like quality over quantity of partners, right? I think that's where a lot of other areas people aspire to be these massive partner ecosystems because they think if I add so many in, somehow I'm going to get a, a massive, you know, ROI out of it. But at the end of the day, if you're not doing well with them or they're not happy with you or your program's not working as great as it should, you know, quality is much more important than trying to have, you know, quantity. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, Katie, I'll let you get back to your family in Wisconsin. Thanks. Wish you a fantastic rest of the summer. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, sounds great. Thank you. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening to Channel Journeys. For show notes and other Channel Journey podcasts, visit channeljourneys.com. If you liked today's show, please forward it to your channel friends and be sure to tune in for Rob's next channel adventure.